Yes, Lord. Amen. Thank you, honey. Yes. Oh, nice. So I have seven sermons here. We'll be here till midnight. Okay, how many of you have seen the movie War Room? Okay, so I have some stories about that and my mom. How many of you are visiting tonight? How many of you go to the do not attend this church? How many of you live in town, in this town, and you don't attend this church? What's up? So how did I get here? So I, I've been speaking at women's retreats. I'm a writer. I write for a lot of Lifeway magazines. I have some columns in a couple of them. I'm not really a writer. I'm just kind of like a talker who types. And they put it in the magazines. And so I, I've been, I get asked to speak at women's events regularly. And so I noticed, uh, as I started to go to some of them, about four or five years ago, I really realized that a lot of women uh, do not have that godly mother background. Do you know what I mean? Like a mother who raised you in the ways of the Lord and was a solid Christian. And the Lord started to speak to me about the verse in Titus and other verses where it tells us that the older women should mentor and teach and take care of the younger women. Amen? I couldn't really figure out why God was insisting on showing me those verses. And then it hit me, the Holy Spirit kind of said, you're the older woman now. <laughs> when did that happen? <laughs> then I looked in the mirror. Oh, yeah, I am. So I started to write this book about my mother. Uh, at that time, the chicken soup for the soul was still, still kind of popular. My mother was not a chicken soup kind of mom. You know, chicken soup is nice and soft, easy to swallow, smooth, comforting. My mother was a meatball mother. You know, she wanted me to chew on stuff a little. She wanted me to remain firm in the Lord. She was a buck up and hang on to Jesus kind of woman. So that's, I named this book, How to Make a Meatball. It has lessons in here that my mom taught me how to be a wife, a mother, a daughter, a Christian. When I was almost finished with the book, one of my editor friends, who now worked for the Kendrick brothers, who produced the movies War Room and Courageous and all those, they were having an initial meeting about this new movie, War Room, and they were talking about how the movie has an older prayer warrior in it. They named her Miss Clara. And um, she said, my friend Marie's mother reminds me of this kind of a woman. So they Skyped. She, she said, you need to meet her. So they Skyped. And it was, my mother had no clue who they were. What? The, who? I don't know. She didn't know who they were. But she saw that they loved the Lord. She came to my house, and they were Skyping. It was supposed to be 20-minute Skype. It was hours long. And they just fell in love with one another. And my mother, who is a real prayer warrior and full of the Holy Spirit, prayed throughout the whole movie God would speak to her specifically about things she could never have known. She would call them. and Then they came to her home, 
and uh, did an interview with her in her home, and then they put the interview, seven minutes of it, on their DVD. So this DVD is now all over the planet, okay? And so they're like showing it on state TV in Kuwait and Singapore, and people are sending me little uh, clips, my mother's clips with like Taiwanese subtitles and Tonga and just all over the world. And so God uh, chose to take my mother home quickly right before the movie came out. And so she passed away June 6th, 2015, and I have not been home since because people just want to know about her, know about her life. We're going to talk about that tonight. And the reason I'm talking about her, you know, 1 Corinthians, Paul says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. My mother would come up here and slap me if she thought I was going to spend the night talking about how great she was. She might not snap, slap me, but she would, like, pull me off the stage. But all through the Bible, God has a system of raising up people as examples. And so my mother's life, I just give it to you as an example. She's no more special than you. God doesn't love her anymore. She was full of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be Molly Bruno. That was her name. We need to be her now. So the, the, uh, the, we have a picture. Pastor... Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, so now, remember this scene from the movie War Room? This has actually been voted the pivotal scene of the whole movie by me because see Phil and I in the background? <laughs> Notice the hair? Thank God for the bench because that's not my best angle to start my movie career. So we're going to show you a quick video of my mom. If you have the DVD, you might have already seen it. Have you seen my mom on it? Modern Day Miss Clara. Well, for those of you who haven't, we're going to run the video. It's about seven minutes long, and then we're going to talk about her, and we're going to be encouraged and go home. How many of you walk? No, don't tell me. But if you walked in here discouraged tonight, you are going to leave encouraged in the power and the love and the might of God. Amen. Also, um, I never want you to be bored. So if at any time in the next 40 minutes or so you're bored, just raise your hand very high. Just kind of wave it. Um, I will utterly ignore you, but you will feel better, right? <laughs> so, okay, Pastor, let's go. Anytime we've done a project, we always were blessed to have a number of people praying for us. We call them prayer warriors. One of the greatest treasures of this past year has been the unexpected friendship of a 91-year-old Italian prayer warrior named Molly Bruno. Molly Bruno was our modern-day Miss Clara, in a sense. Throughout the course of War Room, she prayed for us and even the writing of our materials and books. And here is this elderly woman who has spent thousands of hours in prayer, who has a seemingly endless list of miracles that have happened in her life and whose morning coffee with Jesus is a sacred daily appointment. Well, my talk with the Lord is very important. 
because to start the day off, you start off with him. When you have Jesus, you have everything. So my morning time is to walk into the kitchen, I open up the blind, and I have fellowship with Jesus. And I talk to him about the day. I just worship him. And when he speaks to me through the word, it's so real. And I don't want to let it go. And I have cards ready, and I write it out. And that's my verse for the day. All day I pray. He holds my hand. We walk and talk and fellowship. We're writing this movie about this elderly, feisty widow who's witty and who walks with God and answered prayer. And here is a living representation of Miss Clara in real life. I had to meet her personally. Hey! <laughs> I met Miss Molly on the, uh, on the Skype call. And uh, we spent an hour and a half yes, talking about did. prayer and yeah. the Lord. Mm -hmm. So, Miss Clara in the movie. Yeah, tell me uh, about the movie. Now, we're going to show you some clips. All right. But Miss Miss Molly is a modern day, real life Miss Clara. This is when she's trying to sell her house and she's meeting Miss Clara for the first time. I appreciate oh, you coming this nice. way. So you would say you know the Lord? Yes, I would say I know the Lord. You think the Lord is okay with this asking price? And how old are you now? I am actually 91 years old. Amen. <laughs> and every day is a birthday party. I share. I had a good time with your cameraman today. Yes. Every day is a birthday party. Every day with Jesus. What a gift. You have to expect it. When there is something going on and it looks unbearable, I say, Jesus, I don't know how you're going to figure this one out, but go ahead. Yeah. And he does. <laughs> yes, and he it does. does. And he does it in a surprising way. Yes. Okay. If you were to meet someone and they're a believer in Jesus Christ, they've given their lives to Christ, but they say, my prayer life is flat. I don't really know how to pray. What would you tell them? There's no desire. There's no desire. When we go to him, okay, it's not a ritual, okay? And they feel cold and indifferent. They can't pray. It's because they've, they've gone away from that first love. And it, it's, not, it's not real to them. Yes. But I have the answer for them. If they would seek the Lord mm -hmm. from their heart, meaning just saying, I, I can't take it like this no more. I want you, Lord. I desire. He'll answer their prayer. Amen. This, yeah. is the, this is the last scene in the movie. Oh, and this is when Miss Clara, she you has see? seen the Lord answer all these prayers. And so, and Miss Clara... Uh, goes into her prayer closet to pray, and this is the first time you really hear her pray. Oh, how nice. Will she see her Bible? She'll see your Bible. And you're gonna, yeah, she, she's got oh, your Bible. Oh, there it is. Oh, how beautiful. Jesus. You've oh. done it again, Lord. You've done it again. Oh. Oh. You are good and yeah. you are mighty and you are merciful. 
and you keep taking care of me when I don't deserve it. Praise you, Jesus. You are you afraid to die? No, no. In fact, my husband and I were talking about this morning. We were saying, I wonder what our new home was going to be like. Yeah, yeah. But you know, talking about uh, want to die, like the other morning, I woke up and I, the way of the cross leads home. That's what came out of my mouth. So I said, Marie, Marie, I said, you know what just came out of my mouth? The way of the cross leads home. She said, Mommy, that's a song. So I said, really? So I looked it up and I found it. And the way of the cross leads home. And in there it says, when I say farewell to this world. So I'm excited about it. I can't wait till I see that beautiful face. You see how I hugged you tonight? That's how I'm going to hug Jesus. Amen. So you see, it's a, a relationship, like as though he's waiting for me every morning. Molly, where are you? And what I do is I worship him and love him. That's all I could do. See first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus is enough. Molly had covered us in prayer the entire time we were in production on War Room. And while we were writing the battle plan for prayer, she was praying for us. We finished the book on June 5th, 2015. And within 24 hours, Molly had passed away and gone to heaven. She had finished her race well. She got to see the first cut of the film War Room right before she passed away. Molly left an incredible legacy of faith, of prayer and devotion to the Lord and it's certainly something we should all be inspired by. You know, for the skeptic who believes that God doesn't exist or he doesn't really answer prayer, Molly Bruno's life is an ocean of evidence that there is a living God in heaven who cares about us and wants us to interact with him. And he will move mightily on our behalf if we will seek him in prayer. Isn't she cute? Anytime we've done a project. Yes, it's just amazing how God just is lifting her life up. She's leading so many people to the Lord. Even after she's gone, her life and her, her, her witness, thank you, goes on. I, I assumed, you know, I've been selling this book. And uh, ten dollars in the in the thing, um, and so I figured, you know, they're they're working on a new movie. War Room is done. I'm gonna stay home and make meatballs. But um, last month, a huge Christian publishing company, Faith Works, bought the book. They're renaming it. It's going to come out worldwide. April 2018, uh, I'm doing a book tour and have a publicist. Who f go figure. And God just, for some reason, wants my mother's life to be an example. She just will not go away. God just... 
So we're just going to talk about her a little bit, okay? Can you, can you handle that? Okay, because that's why I'm here. So. so people ask me about my mom. So what was it about her? And I'm asking the Lord. Lord, you know, I, I thought everybody's parents... Like, I went to sleep. My grandfather was a pastor. My father was a pastor. My husband was a pastor. My son is becoming a pastor. I mean, I'm just like a church lady, okay? But I thought everybody's parents were like my parents. My dad and mom prayed. Uh, I went to sleep to the, the sound of their prayers. I woke up to the sound of their prayers. I grew up seeing incredible power and answers to prayer, and I thought everybody did, uh, and a lot of people do. So just to talk about her, first of all, uh, as I say in the book, she remained childlike her whole life. Her faith in the Lord was childlike. That's an important element that we, we as women need to remember. Jesus says in Matthew 18.3, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of God. And so tonight, I'm going to be here, I'm going to leave. You're going to decide whether you believe the words I say to you or not. That's your choice. Jesus said the choice to be childlike is up to us unless we change and become childlike. And so my mother's prayer life is getting worldwide attention, and I just want to read her favorite verse. It's uh, from Hebrews eleven six, and it says, Without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. My mother had great faith, but not in her own faith. My mother has great faith in God's faithfulness. She never taught me that if I had enough faith, or the right kind of faith, or the right words of faith, God would be required to answer every prayer I prayed. God does not owe anyone anything. She taught me to have faith in God's faithfulness and his love and the promises in his word. When you think about that verse, it's telling us, those of us sitting in this room, we want to please God, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> and so what it's telling us is that without faith, it's impossible to please him. So it doesn't matter what we do, what we give, how we act. If we don't have faith, it's impossible to please him. So I don't want to live my whole life coming to church, doing my time in the nursery. I mean, doing my... my <laughs> and find out that I never pleased him because I don't have faith. But what kind of faith? It describes it right here in the verse. It's really not that difficult. We make it so difficult in churches. We make it too difficult. As if God sent his son to earth, who gave himself up as, a, as an offering to give us life, and then decided, I'm going to send my son. He's going to die. He's going to resurrect so that when they die, they resurrect. And then I'm going to make it all impossible to understand. It isn't impossible. It's so simple that we miss it. And so without faith, because to please him, he that cometh to God must believe that he is. Do you believe that he is? 
Do you believe that he is who he says he is? See, my mother just believed he was everything the Bible says, that he was her provider, her healer, her comforter, her, her warrior, her deliverer. She believed it with a childlike faith. And so if you think about the women in the Bible, there was a woman in the beginning of the Bible whose name was Eve. And Satan came and told her a lie, and she believed him. He told her that God was mean because he wouldn't let her eat of any of the trees in the garden. When the truth is, there was one tree that God told her to stay away from. Now, do we know how many trees were in the Garden of Eden? Now, I apologize for my bangs. I have a cowlick, and they're just kind of... Um, do we know how many trees there were? No, there could have been 74 million trees. We don't know. One tree she couldn't eat of, and he, she said, uh, no, if we touch that tree, we're going to die. And he said to her, you're not going to die. And she believed the lie and destroyed the planet. And so we sit here, we go through our day, and she also created laundry. That's part of the curse. <laughs> right? If Eve had never fallen... Every time you fold a load, remember Eve and the apple or the tree or the fruit. The first thing she did was get clothes. So she believed a lie and destroyed the planet. But Mary, little sweet, little child Mary, was told the most unbelievable truth. That she would bear the Son of God. And what did she do? She believed the truth. So tonight, as we go through these stories... What? Is that a call 911 or God bless you? Is that a God bless you, a sneeze? All right. We don't know who did it. It's the woman with her hands on her face. That back there. It's okay. It's okay. I sneeze just like that. She's okay? I don't sneeze like that. Did you believe me? See, you're believing lies. All through life, Satan, the father of lies, wants you to believe that you're not good enough, that you're not worthy enough, that you're not talented enough, that you're not forgiven, that God is mad at you, that... What? You'll never make it. Life is scary. It's a lie. So tonight, I want to challenge you to make a choice about what you're going to believe. You have to believe what's in God's word. Amen. And so that's what my mother did. And she also believed that he was a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that was a, that's a fine line. People come and they want to know. Like, they want to know, your mother was, was Miss Clara. What color did she paint her prayer, her war room? Like, what? How big was it? Did, no, she prayed all the time, everywhere, all day. And what did she pray for? She diligently sought him. We miss that in this verse. He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus alone is en was enough for my mother. My mother was not religious in any way. So I'm going to tell you some stories. My mother was a... Uh, uh, a cross between Mother Teresa and Lucille Ball. 
I'm going to tell you a Lucille Ball story, and then we'll get into the other stuff, okay? She didn't bake. She would make most delicious Italian food, and every now and then, you know, she would throw in a potato and a piece of chicken. We didn't just only eat Italian food, but she did not bake. I have no memories of, like, making Christmas cookies and cakes. No. If we wanted a dessert, we went and bought it. Never baked. Her older sister, however, was just the opposite, baked great. And so one day we were at her house, and she said to my mother, Molly, we, she was eating a pound cake, Molly, you can make this cake. She wrote out the recipe. I think it had four ingredients. So two or three days later, my mom said, I'm, I was newly married. She said, come on over. I'm making a cake. Now, I'd never heard my mother say those words in all my life. So I drove over to her house, and I walked in, and the cake was in the oven, and there was about this much batter in the pan. And I looked at her, and she was covered from head to toe in cake batter all over her, up her arms. Mom, what happened? I don't know, she said. I, this is why I don't bake. Look at me. It's ridiculous. Why do people bake? I can't understand it. So I picked up the, uh, the recipe to look at it. Like, why would this happen? And I went through the ingredients, and then I saw where it said, hand beat 300 times. <laughs> yes, yes. Mom, how did you mix the cake? Just like it said, I hand beat it 300 times. Yes. Yes, my mother was known by anyone who knew her as a woman of prayer. There was nothing too big or too small for her to pray about. In the chapter in the book about prayer, about her prayer life, I, I titled it, Hot Flashes Are Natural, But You Are Supernatural. Because one week, we were in church, we were always in church, and she got this, this feeling, and she described it. I don't have to describe it to you. You know what happened. She went home and spoke to her sister. She thought something was wrong with her. So she called up her sister. She had four sisters, and they said, Molly, well, let me just ask you something. How's the accent? Is it there really hard? The New York accent? It's okay? Okay, good. I'll talk like this then. Um, <laughs> So they said, no, you had a hot flash. That's a hot flash. You will have those for several years. It's natural. She hung up the phone, and I watched her. She was a little militant, little. She walked over, and she said to the Lord, I think she had her hand on her hip, Lord, you're telling me that these things are natural. Lord, if it's your will, I accept it. I know they're natural, Lord, but you're supernatural. Please, Lord, I never want to have another one of these again. And guess what? She never did ever have another hot flash. That's a prayer answer, right? A, a few years later, when I was having my hot flashes, she was like, well, I just prayed and I never had another one. Yeah. When I was a little girl, she had kidney stones, really, really poor, really, really sick. And she went to the doctor, and he took x-rays. Some of you in the room remember when they had, like, x-rays on a piece of plastic. Now they just, like, send it to the phone. But 
So anyway, he see, the doctor came back in the room and said to her, Mrs. Bruno, you are very sick. You need to get straight to the hospital. These kidney stones are life-threatening. And no wonder you're in so much pain. He said, I'm going to get you a room at the hospital. Let's take another x-ray to send along with you. And so he left the room, and she was sitting there, and she started to call out to the Lord. And she, she was telling the Lord, like as if he didn't know, Lord, I'm a sitting in a doctor's examining room right now, and I can't really cry out to you like I want to. But Lord, you say in your word that you bottle my tears. Now, Lord, remember all those times I just worshipped you and just cried tears of love and joy and thankfulness. Could you just take some of those tears right now and apply them to this situation? Lord, will you please heal me? doctor came back into the room and said, we need to take another x-ray. They did. He came back into the room again with three x-rays. And he said, Mrs. Bruno, do you see on this x-ray your kidneys are full of stones? And he pointed them out, yes. Do you see on the next two there's not one stone in any of your kidneys? The Lord completely, completely healed her. There was nothing when, it, it, I don't know if you noticed this, if you have the DVD, you have this little clip on it, but right outside her window in one scene is, was a, a hummingbird feeder. And um, Phil, when, when they moved to Tennessee, for the, in 2001 they moved to Tennessee to be with my only brother and me and all our children and all her, we were, we're all here, okay? Deal with it. <laughs> From New York. Uh, and we all lived, my brother lives in Gallatin, and the rest of us lived in, live in Spring Hill. And so she started to, like, notice birds. She loved the birds. We got her a bird feeder. In New York, we don't have birds. We call them pigeons. We don't, we don't see birds. So the color, she loved the birds. And so one day, Phil decided to get her a hummingbird feeder. He put it right outside her window. And he s explained to her now, he called her Mima also. Now, Mima, you're not going to see a hummingbird right away. It's going to take a few days or maybe a few weeks. She didn't even hesitate. Lord, you're the king of heaven, she reminded him. You rule this planet, and you know where every hummingbird on this planet is. This was her childlike faith. Lord, will you please send a hummingbird here so that I can see one? Now, would you have thought to pray for God to send a hummingbird? No, she thought God is just, he loved and delighted in her. And if she wanted to see a hummingbird, she should ask. Because the thing about my mom was she asked God for everything because she was willing to accept whatever he said. So, is Phil in the room? Not a minute later, in front of the window. A little hummingbird was there, and my grandchildren saw it, and it was such a testimony to them of, of God's prayer answering. I, I, I remember when I was there moving them. Anybody bored? I remember when I was there moving them to come to New York. I got there on a Friday. I was leaving on a Wednesday, and... Uh, we had our plan all set up, my brother, my husband, they were going to fly to New York on Sunday, rent a U-Haul, clear out the house. They had to close on Saturday. Well, on Tuesday, September 11th, 
some terrorists changed everybody's plans. So I was there when the World Trade Center attack came, and uh, that's another sermon on another night, another day. But anyway, we didn't know if the people who had bought the house had, had survived. We didn't know anything. And on Thursday, we got a call from their attorney. They had survived, and yes, they were still, plans were on. We had to have them, they had to move by Saturday. And so I started to panic because it was Thursday and I didn't know what was going on. So I called the U-Haul place in Brooklyn, which is not in any way a southern town. And I asked the gentleman if we still had the truck and he cursed at me and said, are you insane? You can't get an empty truck within 500 miles of New York City. And he hung up the phone. Well, that's New York. And so... I didn't know what to do. My husband walks in the door on Friday morning, and we have to have these people, these wonderful people, out of their home on Saturday. So he could see my face was. <laughs> but my mother saw my husband walking in the door, and she's an Italian woman, and so she instantly took out the pots and pans and started to cook for Phil making him a bagel. And so anyway, she finally asked what was wrong, and I told her, Mom, we need, I don't know how we're going to move you tomorrow. There's no trucks. We can't fit your furniture in the car. I don't know what to do. And so she said the two words I heard her say our whole lives, let's pray. All right, Mom, we'll pray. Even after growing up with her, I thought we should do something more. You know what I mean? So the bagel was in the toaster, and so she said a prayer like, Lord, this doesn't surprise you. You know we need a moving truck. Lord, I don't know how you're going to do it, but go ahead. And that was the prayer, more or less. And I did not, in my heart, though I wouldn't say, I did not think this was a terrorist attack kind of prayer, right? It needed to be a lot longer, a lot louder, more high-pitched screaming. She just prayed with faith and went back and start, continued cooking. Two minutes later, my husband is in, the, in there. Two minutes later, the phone rang. I picked it up, and there was a woman on the other end, and she said, this is Stevenson's Moving Company. Does it, yes. <gasps> That's just what I did. Does anyone there need a moving truck? Well, we do. The next day, they came that afternoon. They scoped out the house. They came in the morning. By 3 o'clock on Saturday, the moving truck had all the furniture, and we left as if we had planned it for months. God is good. He answered this woman's prayer. Every situation, she said, let's pray. Uh, I can remember the time that she... But, but see, my mother sought the Lord for the Lord. It would be like, you know, if you have a very best friend and you need to borrow $10. You just say, I need $10. Like, it's not a big deal. He was her best friend. She would pray for people. So I had a friend who got married later in life. Her name was Roberta, and she could not conceive. And she was not really a believer. And so she called my mom and finally gave in, thought, well, I might as well try God. So she called me and said, could you ask your mom to pray? for us that we might have a baby. The very next month, Roberta was expecting, filled with joy, 
opened up her heart to the Lord. She couldn't believe this miracle, gave birth to a beautiful baby girl. She called me two months after the baby was born to tell me the good news that she was expecting again. <laughs> yes. This time she had a little boy. But before, we didn't know it then, before she hung up the phone about telling me, she said, oh, and by the way, could you ask your mom to stop praying? <laughs> yeah. There was the time that my mother needed some money, and a, a bill had come in, and they didn't have the money, evidently. I heard her. I was home from school. It was just her and I in the house. And I heard her pray, Lord, I don't have this $500, Lord. I don't know where I'm going to get this money. But, you, Lord, you know. She took the bills, and I watched her, whatever it was, I watched her put it on top of the refrigerator. And that was that. If I hadn't heard her pray, I would never know she was worried about anything. $500. So when I was 10, that was a lot of money. I mean, you know, then $500 was like, you know, that was like 500 years ago. And so my, my father came home from work, and she said, oh, your father just called. He needs you to go there. He didn't even take his coat off. He just, we didn't have cell phones in those days. And he went over to his father's house and came home with $500. And my grandfather said, about two hours ago, I just got this strong impression that I needed to give you $500. The thing about my mother's prayer life that I try to tell to people, though, is that my mother's prayers changed her. The result of being a woman of prayer is that she got the heart of God. And God's heart is about people. And so she loved people. So when you called her to pray, her heart broke if your heart was broken. She was full of love. If your prayers aren't changing you, then change your prayers. Because prayer is about connecting with our Father through Jesus. Prayer is about the Holy Spirit interceding, and Jesus is interceding. It's about hearing from God and having God's heart. God's heart is for people. That's why my mother's number one prayer that she prayed, I could go on and on and on and on. The book is filled with her stories of unbelievable answers to prayer. I mean, who doesn't get a hot flash anymore, right? Her life was amazing. But her number one prayer in her childlike faith was, Lord, send someone my way today that I can tell about you. That was why my mother lived. My mother lived because this is just my opinion, but it's so much the truth that the Holy Spirit will always speak of Christ. When you're full of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the center of the universe. So my mother, just full of the Holy Spirit, constantly in prayer, full of love, her heart was to reach the lost. She still, child that she was, believed in hell. And it broke her heart that people might be going there. And so that was her prayer every day. And so she honestly believed God heard her prayer because that's the number one part of faith. Some of us don't believe he hears our prayer. He hears our prayers. And so she believed that 
anyone who came her way that, way that day, it was not a coincidence. So she would say to somebody who called her, like a wrong number, it's not by chance you called my house. God had you call my house so I could tell you that Jesus loves you. Yeah. She would get like annoyance phone calls before there was caller ID, and she would say, now, son, <laughs> you don't want to say that. Do you know that you need Jesus? And they would hang up on her. So we, were, um, so we were in New York last weekend. Staten Island, New York is our home. And it's an island in the middle of New York City, like Manhattan Island. So in order to get off Staten Island, you have to either take the ferry, the Staten Island ferry, or a bridge. So a, a few years ago, uh, my parents were driving across a bridge called the Outer Bridge Crossing from Staten Island to New Jersey. Two or three cars ahead of them, the car stops, a man gets out of the driver's side of the car, runs to the side of the bridge, and jumps off. Now, it's a huge New York City bridge spanning huge river of brown New York City water. And so he jumps off the bridge, and, you know, everybody's horrified. My mother's horrified. This man could have possibly just lost eternity. Did anyone ever tell him about Jesus? She looks over the bridge, and the man did not die from the fall. He's like floating in the water. And my mother thinks, I have to tell him about Jesus. He's 176 feet below her in the water. This was not a witnessing deterrent to my mother, who cupped her hands and said, Jesus loves you! If you know anything about New Yorkers, they were looking at my mom like she was crazier than the guy who had just jumped off the bridge. <laughs> Suddenly, from the water, they hear, I need Jesus. Can he help me? Yes! <laughs> I've done terrible things. His blood is... And I mean, just, he accepted the Lord she led him to the Lord as he bobbed in the water underneath the bridge he had just jumped off. Hallelujah is right. At the moment he thought his life was over, new life began. Because my mother thought for sure God had sent that man there on assignment. The next day the newspapers told the story of a man who had killed his wife and her boyfriend. Some husbands are funny about that. You know, they don't. <laughs> he was one of those husbands. The state of New York did not forgive him, but God did. My mother sent the prison ministry to the prison where he had a Bible. He's still there, still leading the men to the Lord, all because my mother knows that sometimes people can't come to church. So she took the church to people. Amen? She didn't sit. She was a little pastor's wife. She was your typical pastor's wife with her little bouffant hairdo and her suits with 
matching shoes and a pin, always a pin. I walked into Publix with her. I, uh, sh I shop at Kroger. Anybody bored? I'm almost done. I'm almost done, another hour or two. Um, I walked into Publix with her one, one day. I go to Kroger. She went to Publix, she and my dad. I walk in the door with her, we're walking in, and all of a sudden, all the cash register people, what are you, what's the proper name for them? Cashiers, okay. I didn't know if that was, the cashiers come running, the lady in the service department comes running, Molly, Molly, hugging her, kissing her. I'm thinking, this is a hidden TV show. What is going on here? <laughs> My mother starts to introduce me, and one of them, and her name was Peggy or something, Peggy. Peggy tells me, your mother led me to Jesus. Your mother told me about Jesus. Look, she ran back into her purse and took a little pink Bible out that my mother had gone and bought her. Like, who knew my mother was doing this? I thought she was home. She had gotten her a Bible and led her to the Lord, gotten her into a church, and she was growing in the Lord. Five or six people all standing there showing me the Bibles that my mother had given them. Because my mother never let an opportunity go by. So if she was within 10 feet of you, she asked you what church you were going to, was there something she could pray about, somehow she was going to get you talking. So we walk over, I got a cart, she got a cart, we walked over to the bakery department, and there's Henry, the bakery manager. Molly! Oh, this is my daughter, Marie. Hi, your mother led me. I never heard about Jesus. I never knew that Jesus died for my sin. Now, you have to understand something. If this is the main road, let's say the edge of this is the main road in our town, Route 31. Spring Hill is the fastest growing city in Tennessee. So here's Publix. And on this side and on that side are at least, what, Phil, how many churches? 35, 35 churches, or 27, come to think of it, I think it is 27. What do you think, Phil? What? 41. There's a lot of churches. Um, I would say 94% of them are Baptist churches, all opening up there. Henry goes to work at Publix right here, had never heard the gospel. How is that possible? Because Henry doesn't go to church. So my mother took the church to Henry. I, I've been telling this story, and I'm getting so many emails from people in grocery stores leading people to the Lord now. I kid you not. They're hearing somebody say something, and they're like, this lady wrote me a letter. She's from Johnson City, and she said, I've never prayed publicly, even in church or in my family. And last week, I was praying for a woman in the aisle of the store and led her to the Lord. It's like my mother is doing, like, grocery store evangelism with her life. <laughs> so, okay, so I say goodbye to Henry, and I go, you know, I go uh, shopping, about 10 minutes later, my mother, cute as a bell, with her cart, Marie, Marie, hurry up. You have to witness to the produce manager. He's so hungry for the Lord. 
Okay, Mom, because that was the answer I gave my mother. I was not a fool. When Molly said something, I said, okay. So I come after her, okay, Mom, okay. And she's ahead of me in a hurry. But, Mom, why don't you witness to the produce manager? No, I'm witnessing to a woman in coal cuts. <laughs> no, truth. So I'm standing there. I'm waiting for the produce manager, and I look over, like from here to this front row, was a richly dressed 50-something-year-old woman, and I hear her saying to my mother, he will forgive me? Yes. He knows what I've done, and he still wants me? Yes. The blood of Jesus is the price that Jesus shed. I was just witnessing to her. Could this possibly be true? Yes. Would you like to ask him into your heart? Yes. And I watched a woman standing over the salami plexiglass with big, fat tears of repentance bouncing off them as she gave her life to the Lord in the coal-cut department of Publix in Spring Hill, Tennessee, because my mother is not ashamed, was not ashamed of the gospel, and my mother believed that it, it was the power of God unto salvation. And so she met a prostitute in, um, in a bank in New York. One thing about, uh, I'm almost done. Okay, I won't stop. Um, so the thing about New York, when people move to New York, they come to us like they want to know the secret to living in New York. The secret to living in New York is to not live in New York. Don't go. But if you must, the one thing you have to adjust to is long lines. That's the part of everyday life people don't. There's nine million people in like, I don't know how many square miles. You wait, you want a bologna sandwich, and there's 50 people ahead of you, you wait, because they don't care if you leave, because there's nine million more people coming. So you just have to get used to lines, and so that was one of the things that was so blessed, wasn't it, Phil, about living in Tennessee, like walking right up to the bank teller? Like, are you open? <laughs> Yes, ma'am, come on up. <laughs> no, really, really, you're open? Yes, ma'am. Bless your heart. <laughs> Took me a couple of years to understand what they were really saying to me. <laughs> I thought, how sweet, they're blessing my heart. It's a nice way to call me stupid, right? <laughs> I get it. Bless your hearts. <laughs> so this woman walks in, and then my mother's in the bank, and this woman walks in, and there's like, who knows, 50 people ahead of her, and she was a prostitute and didn't care what anybody thought about her and started to scream the phallest curses about the line. Well, in typical New York fashion, everybody ignored her. Like, as long as she doesn't have a gun, who cares what she's saying, right? But my mother called to her and said, Miss, miss, you can get ahead of me. So she got ahead of my mom. 
She was a drug addict. She was the bottom of uh, society, according to our standards. But God loved her. Her name was Manya. And my mother let her get in front of her. And she turned around and said, lady, why'd you let me get ahead of you? And my mother said, so I could tell you that Jesus loves you. Let me tell you something about my mother's theological training. She had none. She simply said, Jesus loves you. He'll forgive you. Let's pray. She, wasn't, she led more people to the Lord, and she could not tell you what year 1 Corinthians was written and didn't care. She just knew that Jesus loved the people because she spent time in his presence, and he changed her. And when God changes you, he doesn't make you holier. You're as holy as you're ever going to be. Jesus is our holiness. He makes you have his heart, and his heart is breaking for people who are going to hell. My mother calls it her first in Jerusalem. She said, Jesus said, you know, remain here in Jerusalem until you be filled with power. Then go to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so she would say, no, everybody wants to do something big, but nobody wants to stay in Jerusalem. Nobody wants to witness to their next-door neighbor, their uncle who isn't saved, the person at work that gives you hives. They're your Jerusalem. Yes. God loves that person who gives you hives. I said that to the Lord once. I mean, I, I didn't hear his audible voice, but almost. I asked the Lord, Lord, do you really love annoying, irritating people? And he said, I love you, don't I? Amen, I am. Ask my husband. None of us is good. Only God is good. Only God is good. My mother's not good. God is good. The same spirit that dwelled in my mother can dwell in you if you seek him the way she did. Do you want all or nothing, Jesus? That's, she said, when you have Jesus, you have everything. If you have Jesus and you want something more, maybe you don't understand what you really have. And so Manya was very arrogant and said, well, if there's a God, let him help me find my daughter. And Child and Human Services had taken her two-year-old daughter from her 11 years earlier. She'd lost track of her. There's 9 million people in New York. It's not like you can ask Bobby Joe, you know, where your mother is. There's 5,000 Bobby Joes on your block, except their name is Raul. And... So my mother prayed right there in the bank, right there in the bank. My mother prayed, Lord, will you help her find her daughter? And that was that. Well, my mother went to her house. She couldn't come to church, she said, because she didn't have clothes. My mother bought her clothes. She came to church. She gave her life to the Lord. Two weeks later, she got enrolled in a drug program in the Bronx. And so she went up there, a new creature in Christ, Manya was. She's at a Bible study there, and there's a guy in the corner, and he's talking about his uncle Zizi or something, some weird name. She goes over to him and says, could that be my uncle? It was. She found her uncle. She found her mother. And she found her daughter three and one-half weeks after my mother stood in the lobby of the bank and prayed for her. Amen. 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 Yay, Mom.
It was love for others that compelled her to pray. My mother was full of life. Whoever has the Son has life. Whatever is born of the Spirit is life. We're not talking about becoming better people. We're not good people. We're bad people who God has come, and he has not changed our hearts. He's given us new ones. Everything we are, in him we live and breathe and have our being. There's nothing about me or you that's worthy except Jesus. Jesus is worthy. His blood cleanses us completely. You know, I talked about uh, 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 my mother believed it all. My mother believed it all. You could not tell my mother that God didn't hear her prayer. When it comes to prayer, as I'm traveling, I'm finding that a lot of the women and some men that I, I, I meet with, they, they'll talk to me after, and they, they have trouble, not so much trouble. They believe God hears their prayer, but they don't know why he's taken so long to answer them. Ever been there? Everybody, nobody here is waiting for an answer to a prayer? Yeah, we all are. And... So my mother's life with the Lord was simply believing what he said. As we sit here tonight, as I'm standing here tonight, I'm continually making choices. The, this, Satan is the father of lies. He's coming to us and he tells us, God is mad at you. He's not going to answer your prayer. You have this problem. You have this addiction. You had an abortion. You've cheated on your husband. You've stolen from someone. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. You're not worthy. Oh, yes, you are. The blood of Jesus makes you worthy. I want to tell you the story of a woman in the Bible, and then we really are going to close in like 12 minutes, okay? This is the story. So I talked about a woman who, who believed a lie, my mother never believed any lies. She only believed God's word. If God's word said it, then it was truth, and she went to her death believing it. She had no problem with dying. Lord, whatever you want, you want to heal me, you want to take me home. I'm 92. How long do you want me to stay here? Phil and I would be taking care of them, and she would say, Lord, Deliver Phil and Marie from all this work. Take me home. And I would say, stop saying that. We're going to read one story from the Old Testament, and then we're going to pray. Does anybody have a question before I go on? You read the book. You saw the movie. You have any questions? Sometimes people ask about my dad. My dad was a mighty man of God, quiet, loving, full of power, as wonderful as my mom was. I was very blessed to have them. I look like my dad, who was a very good-looking man. <laughs> I want to encourage you with this story, and then we are, I understand that we have some prayer people here who will pray with us. I'm going to read a portion of scripture. It's going to be long, but you're going to like it. Right? Right. Anybody bored? Okay. There was a certain man from Ramatham, a Zufite, from the hill country of Ephraim. Anybody bored? No. 
whose name was Elkanah son of Jehoram, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, I mean really, the son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Penina. Well, I like to say Penana. <laughs> Hannah and Penana. <laughs> it's easier to remember. Penana had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. So this is telling us that we don't understand how wonderful it is to have that mediator between God and man, Christ Jesus. In the days before his sacrifice and his death and burial and resurrection and ascension into heaven and before the Holy Spirit came, you couldn't just say, dear Lord, please help me find a parking spot. You couldn't just pray to God. You had to go through a big ritual. It's so wonderful to be able to cry to the Lord and let him hear us, to walk boldly into the very presence of God. That's who you are. That's the truth. Do you believe me? You are a daughter of the Most High God. Stop being wimpy. The power of Almighty God is in you. Amen. Amen. I'm tired of seeing women beat down and believing the lies of the enemy. That's right. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship. And okay, verse 4. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panana, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. What? Hannah is praying year after year after year after year after year for a child, which was a good thing. She wasn't praying for like you know, Botox surgery, which is what I pray for. She was... <laughs> I don't, I'm kidding. Well, okay, once or twice. Um, she was praying for a child. This was a good thing. And so she was praying to God, and God had closed her womb. Do you ever pray and you feel like you're getting God's voicemail? Like, hi, this is God. Sorry I missed your prayer. Leave a message. I'll get back to you. Have you ever felt that way? Nobody has? Okay. Don't lie to the speaker. <laughs> because the Lord, verse 6, had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. So not only did Hannah not have children because God had closed her womb, God had closed her womb, but Panana was a real pain, Panana the pain, and kept pointing out to Hannah, I have children, but you don't, you barren thing. Who knows what she called her? She just was mean. Have you ever had a mean person in your life? In your time of your greatest grief, they keep reminding you what a pitiful nothing you are? And you pray to God, and year after year after year after year, it keeps going on. Verse 
Verse 7 again. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. This was getting to Hannah. Her husband Elkanah, now so now you're thinking, here's her husband, he's going to comfort her. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Am I not better? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Really? <laughs> Any men in the room? No, there's Phil. So he didn't know why she was crying. Like, did he not notice that year after year after year after year she was praying for a child? He didn't know why she was crying. Did he not notice Panana the pain was tormenting Hannah? He didn't notice that. He asked her why she was crying. Have you ever had someone really close to you, not your husband, because men get it, but Sometimes. So her husband didn't understand the pain in this woman's heart. So then her spiritual leader, verse 9, once, once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery, misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. This was before like the current, oh, never mind. As she kept praying, kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. So now Hannah, whose womb has been closed by God, so she's praying to the one who's closed her womb. She has a tormentor in her life named Panana. Her husband doesn't get the grief that she has. He thinks that he can fill the place of ten sons. And since my husband's in the room and the pastor, we're just going to let that slide. <laughs> of course you can. When a woman wants a baby, a woman wants a baby. And then she, her spiritual leader totally misreads her totally gets it wrong, calls her a drunk. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been in a place where your heart is breaking and you're crying out to the Lord and no one around you gets it? It seems like God doesn't care what you're praying about. And no one in church gets it either. You can't get comfort from anyone. But the Lord touched Eli's heart and he said to her, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you whatever you have asked of him. And she said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Now here's the first lesson we're going to learn about Hannah. Hannah believed the man of God. Hannah believed the word of the Lord when it was spoken to her. When you have someone standing in front of you 
even a short woman with a New York accent who says to you, you are not the lies the enemy is telling you you are, but God loves you, and God hears your prayer, and God has plans for you. You older women in this room, God is expecting you to teach and nurture the younger women. Yes, 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 I want to ignore that. Because to tell you the truth, some of the younger women are kind of annoying. But, but when you talk to the younger women, they say the same thing about us. It's the system God has set up to love and nurture and teach them to be busy at home. Oh, my goodness. We'll talk about that another time. And so... The word of the Lord has come forth today. You've heard about a woman who was childlike in her faith in God, who believed whatever God said, who was not afraid to trust his word, who brought everything to him in prayer and saw amazing answers to prayer, whose heart became new because of being in the presence of the Lord. You cannot be in the presence of the Lord and hate people. No, you cannot be in the presence of the Lord and hate people for any reason. So if you hate people, then your prayers are not changing you. You need to change your prayers. You need to say, Lord, I want you. I want to be what you want me to be. And so today you've heard that. Now, what happened to Hannah? For those of you who may be praying and God seems to not be answering your prayer and you're praying year after year, something happened in Hannah's heart. She went her way, verse 18, ate something and her face was no longer downcast. My mother's life of faith was a happy, cheerful, encouraging, positive woman. I, her prayer and her prayer life made her, she was, ne Phil, right? Never depressed. I never said, Mom, what's the matter? What's bothering you? Nothing bothered her. She gave everything to the Lord. So Hannah, even though she didn't see a baby, wasn't holding a baby, just believing God's word changed her countenance, changed everything about her. Now, if you know anything about life, Hannah did not have a baby that day, but she did eventually, and his name was Samuel, and he changed the face of humanity. He was one of the most important men in God's people in the Old Testament in life. He became a judge of Israel. When Israel was filled with corruption, this great and mighty holy man of God took control. Wouldn't we like that in our country? Um, not talking. Uh, her whole countenance changed. If you believe what I'm telling you, that God hears your prayers, waiting on the Lord is what makes you grow. They that wait, waiting is part of life. Wait, there's nowhere in the Bible where it says, so-and-so prayed and five minutes later, God answered. Yeah, it happens a lot with my mother, but there were lots of prayers. God didn't answer even till the day she passed away. 
But the secret to Hannah's victory is that although she had prayed year after year after year, that day she prayed one more prayer. She prayed one more prayer, one more time. See, God wasn't being mean. God was preparing a Samuel. The timing of that Samuel was very intricate. God knew that at, a, at the appointed time, he was going to give Hannah more than she could have asked. He was giving her a Samuel. Some of you have been waiting and don't understand. God has a Samuel waiting for you. God has a special answer waiting for you. Hannah had more children. God blessed her. But Hannah was the mother of Samuel. Can you name any of Penanna's kids? Did any of them do anything? No. She prayed one more prayer. So tonight, before we leave, I just want to encourage you. Who's our, where's our prayer women? And honey, maybe you could come up and just play. I know, I know because I know the Lord's voice. I know there's a few of you in here who are like Hannah. Do we have a, a do we want the praise team to come up? What I want you to do is, if you're a Hannah in here today, you heard about my mother. She was wonderful. I miss her. I loved her. She got great answers to prayer. God's using her life. But he's using her life as an example to tell you that he loves you as much as he loved her. And if you'll seek him, you'll find him too. And he will reveal himself to you. We don't need to know what your prayer thing is. But I know there's a couple of Hannahs in this room. You feel like God is specifically not answering your prayer. But you know what? His timing is perfect. And so maybe you've even given up praying for that thing. Maybe it was a call to ministry. Maybe it's a child that is not saved and doesn't know the Lord. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's a, I don't know what it is. But it just seems like God is not answering. And you've stopped praying. So I would like to encourage you to come forward and pray one more prayer on one more night. And I believe your countenance will change. And you're going to have faith. God, I can't do it. I'm just a person. But through the power of his spirit, I pray that he sends that faith right now into your hearts to say, okay, I'm going to pray one more prayer just like Hannah did. What if Hannah wouldn't have gone into the, the temple that day? What if she would have said, oh, what's the use? I'm done praying. So... Uh, we're just going to, Phil's going to just play some music, and we're going to sing. And if you want to come forward as an act to the Lord, Lord, I'm praying one more prayer. Now, I know there's a couple of you in here. Don't make me come down and get you. Pass me not, O oh gentle Savior, he
on, Hannah. You give it one more prayer. Come forward. Lord Jesus. Jesus.
life is so good that a little time at God's altar doesn't help, right? Come forward. Let everybody... okay. God knows your heart. Just reach out to him. Call out to him. Raise your hand and praise to him. Say help. Say I believe. Say nothing. He sees your heart. God wants to answer prayer. Before a word is even on our lips, he hears it, right? People are praying for some women. If you would like someone to pray for you, just raise your hand and we'll have a wonderful sister come and pray for you. Look around because this is the body of Christ and this is the plan. This is, there's, there is no plan B. This is it. We love one another. We witness. We, we bring people into the family. We pray for one another. We bear one another's burdens. We don't judge each other. We just love each other, and we let God be real. Where's the pastors? 